0: Great are You indeed, Lord. Let's pray. You can be seated if you'd like to. You indeed are great, Lord, so so much so that we can't even begin to comprehend. And You love us, which is even more amazing. Thank You, God, that You've gathered us here in this place to hear Your Word, to sing Your praises, to gather with people who are in various places and stages as we're growing in our faith and our love for you. God, this morning we're going to look again at the prodigal son and we're going to we're going to have an opportunity to look awfully, awfully closely at ourselves if we choose to take that opportunity. And so I ask in your Holy Spirit, God, that you would open our eyes and our minds and our ears and our hearts to whatever it is that you might have for us. It's one thing to encourage each other to look in the mirror. It's something else to have the courage to do it. And so, God, we give this time to you and we thank you for these words that your Son Jesus, our Lord and Savior, spoke. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's be honest here now, right? You've all been waiting all week long for the next installment of The Prodigal Son, am I right? I mean, you're all TV people, and some of you are probably binge watcher TV people. Some of you probably even read ahead and say, I want to know where it goes. Well, we're going to look at the center section of the prodigal son today. And, you know, it's going to be interesting because we left the guy far away from home in a foreign country having spent every last penny of his inheritance in what the Bible calls debaucherous living, wild and crazy living. He wasted everything that he had. So I'm going to pick up at verse 13, which is where we left off last week in chapter 15 of Luke. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living, everything that his father had given him by way of inheritance. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods He had everything. He had the freedom He so desperately wanted and He threw it all away and wasted it. See, today we, we get to look at a in a much closer way at the prodigal son. And remember, a parable is a simple story that Jesus told that a lot of people just took at face value. But Jesus always had a much deeper spiritual meaning to it that not everyone understands. And so our job today is to take a better look at this and see what it is that Jesus was talking about. What is that deeper spiritual truth? And maybe what will happen for you is what Jesus really intended is that you look at yourself and say, where do I fit into this parable? Who am I? Who am I as I read these words? So that if you're ready, the title of the series is, Who's Really Looking Back at You in the Mirror? Let's Step Up to the Mirror. Verse 14, when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Isn't it interesting? The one thing that even if he still had all the money that he'd wasted, the one thing that he couldn't buy was relief from the famine. Even if he still had all of his money, because what that means is that there was really not any food for anybody that was there. The grain stores would either be completely emptied or they would be on lockdown and given out just a little bit at a time for the people who were fortunate enough to get the food. People get desperate really, really quickly in times like that. And I wonder how often do we tell ourselves everything will be okay as long as nothing changes. Right? As long as things stay the way they are, it's all going to be fine. It'll be fine as long as I don't lose my job. Everything will be okay as long as the car doesn't break down. Everything is going to be all right as long as we have our health. Everything will be okay as long as, as long as, as long as. Everything will be okay as long as my plan keeps working. But what happens when we squander our wealth? What happens when we ruin our relationships? Then what? See, this man found himself in a position where one day he had everything. He made a whole bunch of bad choices and he wasted it all and then a famine arose. A famine that he could not control. What happens when you and I waste what God has entrusted to us? See, the tough thing about parables is that Jesus invites us into them. Jesus invites us to see ourselves and the world around us in these parables. Every one of them. So if you dare, let's jump in and see if we can't bring this thing close to home. What happens when you live on 110 or 120 or 130% of what you earn? What happens when you get yourself so deeply into debt with the things that you tell yourself that you need and you convince yourself that you deserve... And then we've got the audacity to tell God and to tell other people, I just can't afford to tithe. I believe in it, but I can't afford to do it. And so we justify our sin by preserving the things that we think really belong to us. I tell you what happens. You begin to feel destitute. Because you're not being honest with yourself and you're not being honest with your Father in heaven. And you start getting angry and you feel like you've been cheated and, and you're not getting the stuff that you deserve. Bitterness begins to take root. And what we do is so often we start to dig a deeper hole to make ourselves feel better with alcohol, or drugs, or overeating, or more spending. And we end up going from a situation that you can change through some discipline and tough choices, and you end up in a famine of your own creation, and you're bitter, and you're angry, and you feel cheated. What happens then, we withdraw from family. We withdraw from our friends. We withdraw from our church. And what we start thinking is that we tell ourselves God's turned His back on us. And everyone else is going to turn their back on us too. When it's really us who have turned away from God and all of them. Because we chose a life in some way or another of indulgent living Away from accountability and biblical truth and caring friends and family. And then what do you do? It's where this young man finds himself in the parable today. See, the best course of action the Bible would tell us is honest repentance, some tough truth between yourself and your Father in heaven. Prodigal son, see, he did the responsible thing we find out. He wised up and he got a job one that was well below anything he would have ever imagined doing. He got a job that he never even thought people had. Verse 15, He went out and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He's run off to a faraway country, a Gentile country. As Jesus is telling this parable, he would have been a Jewish young man. He ran off to a country that would have been occupied by Gentiles and he gets himself a job for a man in that country. He's completely broke. And at the mercy of someone who doesn't share his faith. Furthermore, the job he gets is feeding pigs, which to a Jewish person is an animal that is both unclean and that they are completely told to stay away from. It's one of the most miserably low forms of life imaginable. What Jesus wants us to understand is to this young Jewish man, he has sunk as far as he can go. He is working a job so lowly that he is literally out in the field with these pigs, bringing them their food. Some people have taught this as though Jesus in some way was trying to be harshly critical of Hogs are what we would understand as hog farmers, and that's not the point of the parable at all. The point of the parable is not to to somehow make folks who raise their living raising pigs feel bad. No, it's about the prodigal son. And in fact, it's the hogs that help him realize where he really is. He's working for a man that doesn't care what his religion is. He doesn't care about his social standing. He doesn't care about who his father is or might have been. He doesn't care about where he came from or how much money he has or used to have. See, the young man until very, very recently used to have the world by the tail and now he's slopping hogs in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere in a foreign country being paid by a man who doesn't care one bit who he is. He is destitute in every way imaginable. He is desperate. And he begins to realize that not long ago, he was within his father's will. He had a good job. A comfortable life and a relationship with his family. Verse 16, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Can you even imagine that? He's longing, dreaming, of being able to eat some of the tough seed pods that he's feeding the pigs, and yet no one gave him anything. Why? Because no one cared. Nobody noticed him. Nobody knew that he was out there. The only concern anybody had is that the man who he had gone to work for was getting his money's worth. I can only imagine that those friends, and I put that in air quotes, that he had while he was living this crazy life, those friends, he's probably wondering where are they now. I'll tell you what, they're nowhere to be found. Not one of them was there to help him when he needed it because not one of them was really a friend. He would stuffed himself to his most gluttonous full with all the pleasures of the world that his money could buy, and now he finds himself empty, starving, Broke and totally broken. He's at the point the Bible calls lost. Earlier, that was the word that we read. It was lost. He's, he's destitute. He's truly destitute financially, relationally, and spiritually. He has nothing and no one. If you've ever chased your freedom at the expense of everything and everyone around you, you might understand where this man found himself. Maybe you've had a point in your life, maybe you feel like you're there right now where you don't have anything or anyone, no money, no property, no purpose, no people, no hope, no friends. See, overconsumption does that to us. The devil makes it look really good and so we take all we can get. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, spending, pornography, it all leads to the similar place of lonely desperation where there's no one and nothing there for us. It's important for us to note that everything that this young man had that he wasted in pursuit of his freedom, this freedom without accountability, was ultimately a gift to him from his father. His dad had given him everything that he had to go waste. And everything that we have is a gift from our father, God. It's important that we make that connection in this parable. His father, his brother, his inheritance, the food he ate, his well-being, all of which he threw away without even thinking twice. And I wonder about me, and I wonder about you. The Bible says that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and righteousness is the things of God, right? The things that God would want us to be hungry for. The Bible says that we'll be filled. We'll be filled in a way that the things of this world and all the money of this world and all the people in this world will never be able to do. The Bible says that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We will be filled. Instead, this young man filled himself with the false lure and the lie that that worldly freedom was the answer. Only to be left empty and hungry. He, He sold himself into slavery and he paid for it with every penny he had. He'd thrown away everything he owned in search for personal pleasure and fulfillment, and now he was left with what remained nothing but these pigs and their food. He was a slave to his own freedom, and he was miserable. Twine John eight thirty four Jesus says, I tell you the truth everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I love that phrase. But when he came to himself, so easy to look over, it just doesn't even seem to be that significant that we could talk about it for a month. When he finally came to his senses, when right and reasonable thinking returned to him. In Jesus' way of thinking, understand now, any life whatsoever apart from God and being in God's will is an unthinkable life. It's a crazy life. It is to live in a world that is unreal and unnecessary. A world that you weren't created for. And the Bible says when He came to to Himself, see, for the young man to come to Himself quite literally means that to Jesus, He came back to reality. He regained His common sense. And when He did, He realized that every single one of those men that worked for His dad may have had to put in a full day's work. But you know what? They had more than enough food. And here He is, the son of His Father who took His inheritance and ran, is dying physically and spiritually for lack of real food. And I wonder how many people are out in the world making their own way, chasing their own freedom, dying of spiritual hunger. And so what we see this young man doing is the first glimmers of the beginning of the heart of repentance. He got to a point... He had no choice but to look at himself in the mirror. His friends hadn't helped him. His money was gone. He had to look straight in the mirror and admit who and what he had become. But we don't like to do that, do we? We don't like to look at the mirror and be honest about who we are. When we repent sanity and common sense, begin to return as sin is recognized and admitted to. When we repent, we confess our sins to God and we confess our straying from Him like this young man is planning to do, as well as our intention and our desire to return home to Him, our Father. And that's what happens in this parable. We realize how good it is to be in His care. When we come to our senses, it isn't easy because we're pride-filled creatures. We don't like to admit that kind of stuff. But the young man, he had no pride left, just the stark reality of what his life had come to. And all too often when we stare at the reality of our sin and our pride, we stare it right in the face, and rather than confronting it and confessing it, repenting it, you know what we do? We dig our heels in. We dig our heels in and do a little bit more of whatever it is that got us in trouble in the first place. We take a come to Jesus moment, and we turn it into a run further from Jesus moment. And we dive deeper into that pit of self-indulgent, woe-is-me bitterness. Verse 18, He says, I'll arise and go to My Father. I will say to Him, Father, I have sinned against Heaven and before You. He decides to do something. He decides to stand up. Rather than to lay in the ground and grovel and feel bad about Himself, He decides to stand up and take control of the situation by admitting what He's done wrong and by going straight back to His Father. And then He begins to plan what He's going to say. He determines he's not going to make excuses. But instead, he's going to say what's true. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. No stupid story to explain his behavior. Just a simple, honest apology that takes ownership of his actions. I don't know about you, but I've had those moments with God. I've had them when I have to look into the mirror and I've got to confront what I've done or what I've thought or what I've said. They're not fun and they're humbling. But they're powerful. Holy moments like that are what repentance is all about. And that's a moment between you and I and God alone. Those are moments that we share with God so that God can use those moments for us to grow. So the first part of repentance is accepting responsibility for what we've done. Our our, our sin causes us to make excuses and justify our actions. Conviction, that leads us to confession and to repentance. This whole thing has been going on for a very long time. It's been going on all the way since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God called them out and the first thing that they did was begin to blame other people. Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. Responsibility for our actions has never come easily to us as people. Verse 19, what he decides he's going to say to his father is, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He's rehearsing his humble return home. He's imagining what it's going to be like to look at his father in the face and need to apologize. See, life with these pigs has provided some significant conviction and a time of soul searching for him. His honest look in the mirror began with staring a hog in the snout, wishing he had the food that it was eating. And sometimes we find ourselves in a position in life that we're staring at something that has no other alternative but for us to be honest. What he was looking at in that pig's face looked better to him than the life that he had created for himself. He could have whined and gotten angry and justified how unfair life was, but instead he used that moment of introspection and staring into, into the mirror to decide he was going to stand up and make a change. That change was going to begin with a trip home and an apology to his father. It was going to be in, begin with repentance. He decided to go from being that demanding, arrogant, disrespectful son to being a humble human being in need of a job and willing to work for his father as a servant no title no privilege no relationship nothing but a servant's position and wage that folks is a turnaround that's conviction in the very heart of repentance he's abandoning his pride he's setting aside his rebellion And He's asking for forgiveness and making the determination to change the way He lives by 180 degrees. That's repentance. So what does God ask of you and I, huh? In 20 years of ministry, I've heard an awful lot of people tell me why they'd never be a Christian. I'd never be a Christian because, you know what? You've got to give up all the fun. Christians are so serious and boring. I'd never be a Christian because the church expects way too much of you. I would never be a Christian because all that God wants is all your money. You've maybe got some of those yourself. Or I'd never be more of a Christian than I am because God is going to want me to. But i got news for you. You know what God wants? It's very simple. See, all that stuff that we use as excuses for not getting close to God, those are that's all His stuff already anyway. Your time, your life, what you think is your money and your possessions, that all belongs to Him. What God wants is you. All of you. God wants your heart. All of your heart, so that when you make decisions, decisions we make them to bring glory to God with our lives. Not to bring pleasure or joy or happiness to ourselves to use what we have, and we've all got them. Talents and abilities and possessions and money, all of which are a gift from God that we're merely stewarding. We're taking care of them for Him. Maybe I can help you understand that a little bit differently. Maybe the most important thing that you have in this life is your money. And the church and anybody else that asks for it gets what you can, you can conveniently give and not miss, and that's it. God allows you to have that attitude, but i got news for you. When you die, no matter how well you plan, when you die, someone else is going to steward your money. Someone else is going to be responsible for having it and for saving it and spending it and giving it back. Because it really isn't yours. It's just in your hands now for the moment. Because when you die, it's all going to be gone. And the question is not how much did you have. The question is, what did you do with it? Maybe you think, man, I've been dealt a crummy hand in this life. I got, I just I got the short end of the straw. But you know what? Here's the deal. God has given you life. I know that because you're here right now. God has given you life, and your life, no matter what you've done with it, is better than this young man sitting in the Pig field looking at one of those hogs thinking that pig's dinner looked awful good. God has given you life. What are you going to do with it? Because here's the deal this life right now, this one that you're living, that's the only life that you get before eternity. What are you going to do with it? What's it going to look like? Who are you going to live, live for? How are you going to live? What are you going to do to take care of all of those things that God has entrusted you to steward for Him? Are you going to hold on to them pretending they're yours? Or are you going to be generous and, and give them out, whether it's talents, time, gifts, abilities, money? What are you going to do with them? Because God's entrusted all that to your care. What are you doing right now With your eternal inheritance. To that decision and, and, and the life that we live begin either by taking an honest look in the mirror and standing up and doing something, or by walking away saying, I'm fine just the way I am. This young man, he was fine just the way he was because he had money, he didn't need anybody else, he sure didn't need his father. But when he realized that his money was gone, and his friends were gone, and his family was a long way in the way, and the only person that he, or only thing that he had to look at was a hog, because no one cared, he decided to stand up and to repent and to make a change. And at this point in the parable, Jesus wants us to think about that too. What do we need to do? Where are we in life? What have we done with? What we have been given? What are you going to do with what you have been given? What are you going to do with your inheritance? Let's pray. God, this is a tough parable. We can look at it and just point to the prodigal son and talk about the mistakes that he made and move on from there and feel good about our lives. Or we can look at its real intent and the purpose that Jesus had when teaching in parables, and that is that we look at ourselves. We look at our world, this, this series that we talk about, who's really looking back at us in the mirror. And so Jesus wants us to do in these parables is to take a look at ourselves, not, not each other, not to point our finger and point out the sins and faults and flaws of other people, but to look at ourselves. And what would you, you would have for us, God, is you would have us to stand up and to admit and acknowledge and to apologize and confess, ask forgiveness and to repent and to turn another way. What you would have for us, God, is to come home to you. And that would be my prayer, that wherever we are, that we know that we're not too far, that you're there, you're, you're waiting for us to come home to you. That for whatever days and months and years we have left in our life, that we could be good stewards of the inheritance that you have given us here on this earth, in Jesus' name, Amen. This series is tough because it's talking about looking in the mirror, which is something we don't like to do. It's so easy; we would rather point out the sins and the flaws and the faults of other people. Because you know what? When we do that, maybe it stops the noise and nobody talks about us for a minute. It's a lot easier to point our finger and talk about other people's problems. But you know what? The only way you're ever going to grow up as a Christian, the way you're ever going to mature, the only way you're ever going to be a disciple of Jesus is to look in the mirror and deal with our own stuff. And we don't like to take responsibility. We like to blame somebody else because then we feel like we've got a right to do it. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God was very clear with Adam and Eve: don't touch, and no, excuse me, don't eat the fruit from the tree. Always said, don't eat the fruit from the tree. Not one in the middle of the garden. Everything else is yours. So what happens? Well, they decide, well, we're not supposed to touch it, but yeah, we're going to grab it, and they ate it. And God came to them, and He went to Adam first, and He said, what did you do? And Adam said, literally his words were, it was the woman you gave me. It was her fault. But God's first conversation was to Adam. And He said, what did you do? And if Adam would have just said, God, I sinned. I did what you told me not to. So God looks at Eve and He said, what did you do? And she went, it was the snake. From the very beginning, We've pointed our fingers and blamed others. But if you want to grow up as a Christian, if you want to mature, we need to spend some time looking in the mirror, admitting, confessing, and repenting. That's how we grow up and become a little bit more like Jesus. Next week, we're going to look at the homecoming. The young man goes back to his father. We'll see how that goes. For those of you that can't wait, you can read ahead. Um, But that doesn't mean you don't get to come next Sunday because you still want to hear more about it.